You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Okay, today, John, we are going to be studying Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. And I want to start with a trivia question for our listeners that I'll let you answer. There's one miracle, aside from the resurrection of Jesus, there's one miracle that appears in all four Gospels. And what is that miracle? So we'll let our listeners think about it. Think about all the miracles. We've covered some so far in the Gospel of Mark. And so if you think about all of his most famous miracles, which is the one that appears in all four Gospels? John, why don't you go ahead and get... We've given our listeners a few seconds to think about it. Why don't you give us the answer to this? Well, if you said the miracle of feeding the 5,000, you would be correct. And of course, he actually fed more than 5,000, right? It was 5,000 men who ate that day. We're reading the Bible. So uh, that was a whole lot of mouths that he fed mm-hmm. on that particular miracle. Yeah, and what we're going to see today, actually, we're going to cover, we're going to do something unusual in today's uh, podcast, because typically we cover just one section of scriptures. We've been going through it chronologically from Mark chapter 1 all the way through. And so today we're in chapter 6, but we're also going to be looking at chapter 8. Because spoiler alert, this is this is a repeat miracle. A, a lot of people maybe don't understand that Jesus he he didn't just feed five thousand, but he also fed four thousand. Just a couple chapters later, he feeds four thousand, and we're going to talk about the significance of that and why Mark would include that. And in, fa- in fact, Matthew includes the feeding of the four thousand as well. So Mark and Matthew both include both of these miracles. But but Luke and John only include the feeding of the 5,000. So again, we'll get to that. We'll cover all the scripture today. But John, let's start with a question to get our listeners sort of thinking properly about this so that they can tie it to their own lives. There's going to be a lot of insights we're going to pull out in today's text. But here's here's the question I want listeners to start thinking about. If God performed a miracle in your life, would you recognize it? Because probably most of our listeners have never witnessed a miracle. At least that's that's what their answer would be. Like a miracle like what we've been reading about in the Gospel of Mark or the ones that we're going to read about today. So John, for you, have you ever have you ever seen a miracle on the order of like the New Testament miracles? Well, I haven't seen a miracle of multiplication like we're reading about today. But I feel like I've seen multiple miracles in my life. Now, the skeptics might say, well, that was coincidence, or that was this, or that was that. I'll give just a a brief example. I was driving in a pretty bad snowstorm uh, one winter, and I was already going much, much lower than the speed limit. And I I heard what I would call the audible voice of God, which I've only heard like twice in my whole life, say, slow down. It's kind of a silly thing for God to say to someone. Mm. And I and I actually argued in the car. Like, God, I'm I'm already I'm only going 30, and I think the speed limit was 55. And I just heard again, slow down. Anyway, seconds later, I crested a hill and I was starting to go down that hill. And at the bottom of that hill, you crossed a bridge, and there was a car coming from the other direction, also descending and, and heading to that bridge. And that other car lost control. And and literally ping ponged from one side of the bridge to the other, all the way across it. And had I not slowed down, I would have been on that bridge at the exact time that that car lost control. And so, to me, that's a clear example of God doing the miraculous for me. 
You know, when I was in high school, we went on several missions trips down to Mexico. And on more than one occasion, I witnessed a, a legit miracle that I probably like the older version of me might be more skeptical of. I don't know for you, John, when you, when you watch like, I don't know, you probably don't watch these guys regularly, but you know, you, you think about these faith healers on TV. Do do you, do you watch that thinking, wow, that's awesome. It's like new Testament things going on. Or do you watch with a little bit of skepticism? Let's be honest right now in this podcast. I have to be very honest. I'm usually skeptical. Now, I'm I'm not a cessationist. I believe that we still have access to all the gifts of the Spirit. But yeah, I, I typically watch that with skepticism. Yeah, as do I. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners feel the same way. Because it's just not normal in our daily life. I think especially in American churches, it's just not, It's just, it doesn't seem plausible. And I know that there are swindlers out there. I know that there are there are people that are just, you know, the preachers who are just trying to get get our money, things like that. You you see movies about it, you see documentaries about it. So I know for sure. And I want to make sure our listeners hear this because we probably have some skeptical listeners listening to this podcast. I want you to know I'm skeptical too. I feel the same way. In fact, John, up at at one of our campuses, I, I remember preaching years ago, preaching a sermon about miracles and that Jesus has the power to do miracles, which I believe He still does. And as I was preaching that, I invited people if they needed prayer to come forward. And a person in a wheelchair rolled his wheelchair down to the front in front of everybody and asked for prayer. And we prayed for him. And he stood up and walked out of his wheelchair and walked away that that day, walked away without a wheelchair. In fact, his wheelchair was left at that church for several weeks. And I have to confess I was moved. I was, I mean, I believe God can do that for sure. But even, even there, even when I was the one praying for this guy, I still had a measure of skepticism. And I remember talking to the campus pastor just later that week. He felt the same way. We both felt, we both were like, is this guy for real? Cause he was a new, a little bit newer to our church. We, we both kind of had this, I don't know, this, this approach to God's miracles that, where we were a little bit skeptical, and probably some people listening today or reading the Bible, reading through Mark with us, have have thought the same way. And I I think it's good for us as pastors to be honest about our skepticism, even though we believe God can do it. It's not normal to see some of these miracles. And so again, back to this question, if God performed a miracle in your life, would you even recognize it? Would you even see it? And that's that's going to be the question we want to be ringing in our ears. We're going to explore that here as we study Mark chapter 6. So, so John, let's start with the passage, starting in verse 30, and we're going to read all the way up to 34. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. So earlier, Jesus had sent them out to go uh, make disciples and preach. You remember last week that Jesus was rejected at Nazareth, and then he sends his disciples out, and he warns them that they're going to be rejected too. So this is them coming back from that. And Jesus said to them, verse 31, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. We've seen that several times before so far in the gospel of Mark. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Verse 33, but many people recognized them and saw them leaving. And people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat 
and he had compassion on the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Let's stop right there, John, because I think there are a few insights we want to pull out of this section of Scripture. Yes, as you mentioned, Brian, context is important. So just prior to this scene, Jesus had sent the disciples out two by two. They were preaching a message of repentance. They were healing people. They were casting out demons. And no doubt they had stories to share with Jesus. I'm sure they had questions to ask Jesus. Uh, I'm sure they wanted you know, affirmation from Jesus. They wanted to spend time from him. And yet there's so much popularity surrounding Jesus. So many people want to be with him, and there's so much demand on their time. They hadn't even been eating, they, you know, much less get away to a quiet place. And, and so I love the fact that Jesus knew they needed rest. You know, Jesus Jesus wants us to work hard for sure. And I would say probably most Christians, we lean too far the other way, right? We rest too much and don't work enough. But but definitely we we do need some rest. If we've been laboring hard for the kingdom, there are times we need rest. And I think it's interesting that Jesus said, let's go find a quiet place. So they, they weren't just seeking rest in the sense that they got to kind of sit down and take a load off. They were looking for silence. They were looking for solitude. And are those spiritual disciplines that, that you and I incorporate into our walk with Jesus? I think they should be if they're not. So they arrive at their destination. And keep in mind what the disciples are looking forward to, right? Jesus said, hey, let's, let's go to a quiet place. So that, that's what's on their mind. That's what they think they're going to get. But then when they arrive at the destination, the crowd's already beating them there. <laughs> so, so much for peace and quiet. And I love Jesus' response here. Jesus' response is compassion. He doesn't seem frustrated that plans got changed. He's not angry. We, we don't sense any anxiety in him. No, he's compassionate because these crowds are like sheep without a shepherd. You know, they're, they're vulnerable to attack. They're likely to wander and get lost. They, they don't even know where to find food. There's all these different needs that they have. And it's interesting to me, the first thing Jesus does with the crowd is he teaches them. We've, we've highlighted this in, our, in this Mark series before, but you know, Jesus wasn't a healer who sometimes taught. Jesus was a teacher. And that was the primary thing he did. He taught the people, and then, of course, he did all the other miracles as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's a good insight because typically when we think about the compassion that Jesus or even that his disciples had, and we've seen a lot of this, right? We're talking about miracles. Typically, when we think about compassion, we think about doing something for someone. And so Jesus would heal. He would, you know, he would change lives. And we saw the, the healing of this woman with this issue of blood for 12 years, the healing of this daughter. Uh, even the disciples were casting out demons and healing people anointing people with oil, healing. So when I think about compassion, John, when you think about compassion, we're usually thinking about doing something for someone. But let's not forget that one of the most compassionate things you can do for someone is to teach them truth. And so here in this passage, he has compassion on them. And so then he teaches them. He he gives them, he gives them truth, which... Again, for a lot of people, they're they're just thinking about temporal needs and 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 material needs. But Jesus understood that there was a a much a much deeper need that we all have a much deeper need that they're sheep without a shepherd, and um, and so he teaches them. 
And then verse 35, it says that late in the afternoon, his disciples came and said, so this was just Jesus, right? So his disciples are getting their rest. Let's remember that. Jesus even had compassion on his disciples. He's doing the heavy lifting now. They're off, they're off taking a nap, watching golf, whatever. And so now here, here they come to him and he says, hey, look, this is a remote place. It's getting late. And so send the crowds away, they said to Jesus, so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Right. So, so they're, they're still focused. And I can relate to these guys because after a long ministry day, for me, Sundays are my long ministry days. And I'm beat, even just after a few hours of ministry at church on a Sunday morning, I come home and I'm pretty, I'm pretty beat. And so I get it. I understand. They're like, send the crowds away. Help us understand this one, John. This is super convicting to me, even as we read this, because I um, I have a personal application for this that I'll share here in just a minute. But yeah, I'm the same way, Brian, Sunday afternoons. I confess, sometimes I hate it when my phone rings at five or six in the afternoon on a Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, because it's been a long day. It, and it's been a very emotionally draining day, because as a pastor, you're not only teaching on Sundays, you're praying with people. You're hearing their needs, you're hearing consequences of decisions they've made, and your heart hurts for them, and it's a long day. And it's interesting that the solution the disciples had for the need was to just get rid of the needy. (laughs) So, So, you know, maybe some of our listeners can relate that when you see a need, your first thought is, how can I just get rid of the needy? So the personal application for me is we've got a gentleman that's that's homeless up in our community that's he's newer to the valley he's been there probably a month now and and we've met some physical needs for him and we found out that there is a a church that he formerly used to be a part of in Pocatello and they've offered a place for him to stay and I was excited for him but if I'm being really honest, I wasn't just excited that he had a place to stay. I was excited that he'll no longer be our problem. I know that's a very harsh thing to say, but I'm just I'm just being open with our audience. That that was part of it for me. Like I see myself and the disciples. Hey Jesus, send these guys away to go get some food because then we won't have to deal with it. And I'm I'm so grateful that that's not Jesus's response. Yeah, here's his response, verse 37. Jesus said, you feed them. Let's just pause there for a second. That's so, so interesting. Jesus just simply said, you feed them. And their response was, with what? We, we'd have to work for months, they said, to earn enough money to go buy food for all these people. And then Jesus responded, how much bread do you have? Go and find out. And so they went out, probably going out among the crowd, to find out who had some bread. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Now, John, let's pause there because we've got a few insights to pull out from this. Yeah, I think there's there's actually a lot of really neat stuff just in those few verses. So first, with the disciples' response, you know, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. We're not really sure, was this a comment they made just in unbelief, like it just didn't make sense? Or was it kind of a selfish comment, maybe even made in anger, like, 
wait a minute, you you would want us to work for months and months just to turn around and give all that food away in one day to this needy crowd? We can't say for sure what the disciples were thinking, and obviously we want to be careful of speculating too much, but it, it seems that at least they were frustrated with Jesus's response. You know, God has unlimited resources, but even in this story, he wants to use the meager offerings of those that were present, and I, I think that's how God still works. The other thing I see in here is that steps of obedience were taken before we see the miracle. Right, So he said, go find out what we have. So they did that. The disciples went out, and in John's gospel, we know that these five loaves and small fish were actually from a a boy in the crowd. It wasn't from the disciples' own supplies. John also describes them as barley loaves. So barley loaves were kind of the poor man's bread. Uh, this wasn't um, this. This was a great value bread, not Wonder Bread. If you're a if you're a Walmart shopper, and hey, I buy great value bread all the time, so I'm not picking on anybody. <laughs> but but this was poor man's food. And how often does God still do that? I, I know of so many families in our congregation that society wouldn't say they're affluent, but man, they're generous, and God uses their meager offerings and their generosity to bless people all the time. Jesus didn't have to do that, right? Jesus has a track record of creating something out of nothing. That's how he created the world. He just, God just spoke it into existence. So he didn't need the young boy's loaves and fishes, but he invited him to be a part of the miracle. And I always just wonder, man, what what was it like when that boy went off and told that story to his friends and his family? Oh, the, you know, the teacher, the rabbi Jesus used my bread and my fish to feed 5,000 people today. I think that was the excitement he would have had as he went and told that story. And I think that's the same encouragement that we get when we bring to God our time, our talents, our treasures, and then he uses those to work miracles in the lives of others. Yeah, it makes me think of Ephesians 3. Paul writes this in verse 20 and 21. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. But the the part of that verse that really sticks out when I think about this story is through his mighty power at work within us. So it's his power, but yet he invites us like this boy. Now, remember, Mark doesn't mention that it's a boy. In fact, Matthew doesn't and Luke doesn't. So the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They're all written from the same perspective, from the same basic source material. John is the fourth gospel and John's the one that includes that that it was a boy, a small boy. And just think that he invited this this kid to be a part of this miracle. How cool. How cool would it be would it be to be that kid? Um, that was connected to the only miracle aside from the resurrection of Jesus that's repeated in all four Gospels. And it, it's just a reminder to us of of how God loves to work. And he, and he loves to use, he loves to use us. We, you know, we've seen this in other miracles too. He didn't have to touch the leper, but he did. He didn't, he, you know, he didn't have to call out the woman who touched him, but he did. He There's a reason that Mark includes some of these some of these details about how God is 
how how God is using the resources that are already there. Jesus is using those resources that are already there um, to allow us to participate in the miracle. He allowed his disciples to participate in the miracle, even though they were tired. He did this. So verse 41, it says, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples. It's interesting that verse, the the tense of the verb there, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share and they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish, total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. So some more insights here. John, help us with this. It's another example of inviting the disciples to be a part of the miracle. The fact that, as you said, he kept giving it. So there's kind of this back and forth. You know, I'm sure they probably took food to one group of 50 and they come back and and it's full again. And they take that group to another group of 50 or 100. They come back, it's full again. Jesus didn't have to do it that way. You know, he, he could have just put food in front of everyone. I mean, God rained manna from heaven. Right? God, God could meet our needs in so many different ways. I love it that everyone ate as much as they wanted. So Jesus wasn't stingy. Jesus didn't give them just enough food or just enough calorie intake to, to make it through the day. No, they ate till they were full. It, it makes me think of how Jesus said that I, I come that you might have life and have it to the full. I'm not a stingy God. You know, they didn't have to ration it. And then then there were 12 baskets of leftovers. And Jesus had the disciples pick up the leftovers, right? He wasn't wasteful. I think that's another example of the importance of stewardship in our lives. If you didn't get enough to eat there, it was your own fault. The food was there. And I think for for believers in particular that are listening to the podcast today, that that's true of spiritual food as well. If you're not getting enough to eat spiritually, it, it's your own fault. God has given us everything we need to be full. You know, we can read his word, we can pray, we can listen to sermons, we can worship him, we can be a part of a small group, we can be a, a part of a mentoring relationship. There are so many ways for you and I to partake of spiritual food. And so on that day that Jesus did this miracle, if you left there hungry, there was nobody to blame but yourself because either you chose not to eat or or maybe we don't we don't really read this but maybe you chose not to sit down in the group of 50 or 100 maybe you went and did your own thing or maybe you thought well I got to get out of here and I I've, I've got to go into town and get food and I'll guarantee you the people who left and and tried to find food elsewhere did not get the amount of food that they got if they'd have stayed with Jesus yeah that's good so, so this story, Mark chapter six, this story ends. I mean, it's a it's a it's a miracle worth telling and retelling. But yet, then two chapters later in the Gospel of Mark, and remember, the Gospel of Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. It's sixteen chapters. So Mark is he's only telling us what he what he wants to make sure that we know. He's not going to add anything extra. He's short and sweet. I love the Gospel of Mark. And yet two chapters later, Mark chapter 8, we see a, like a deja vu miracle. We see this, this repeat miracle. And I, I want to read it. And as, as people listen, I want, you to, I want you to listen for the similarities in this second miracle. 
And again, if you're not really paying attention, you know, some, sometimes people read the Bible and half pay attention. If you're not paying attention, you probably will think you're, you backed up and you're rereading the same miracle. And, and you, you, you probably don't even, I, I remember for me, even John, I did, it took, it was probably a long time before I recognized that there were two separate feedings of the multitude here. And I, I love that Mark makes it clear that there's 4,000 men this time. So we know it's a different miracle. He's not just on repeat, but pay attention to some of the overlaps here. It says about this time, Mark eight, verse one, about this time, another large crowd had gathered and the people ran out of food again. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. There that is again. They've been here with me for three days and they've nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll, they'll faint along the way for some of them have come a long distance. Verse four, his disciples replied, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? And Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. And then he took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples who distributed the bread of the crowd. And a few small fish were found too. So Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. Verse eight, they ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of food left over there were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. So, John, help us with this, because I think, again, some people might read right past this. Now, the numbers, almost all of the numbers are different. In fact, maybe all of the numbers are different in this. So we know it's a different miracle, but there are a lot of similarities. And what do you think Mark is getting at by including this second miracle? The first thing that I notice is that in the very first verse in that passage, in verse 1, it says, and the people ran out of food again. <laughs> Mark is calling our attention to the fact that, hey, we've been down this road before. We, we, we've already seen this set up. We've already seen this story. And then Jesus said, I, I feel sorry for these people, as you pointed out. It, it's his compassion again that moves him. He doesn't want to send them home hungry. And you would think out of the out of the twelve disciples that when he said, "Hey, I don't want to send them home hungry," one of them would have said, "Well, can't you just do that thing that you did already? Hmm. You know, Jesus can't can't you just can't you just miraculously feed them? We've seen you do it before, but no one does. You know, their response is, "Well, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness?" Isn't that descriptive of how you and I often approach what we might seem, you know, deem to be a problem? That we approach this with this attitude of scarcity. We we tend to look at our unlimited, or excuse me, we tend to look at our limited resources instead of God's unlimited resources. And then again, there are, are other commonalities to the first miracle. He has the disciples get involved. They're the ones who distribute the bread to the crowd. It seems in this situation, too, where it's a little different than the first miracle, Brian, that you almost get the sense that all the bread was distributed and the crowd ate bread, and then the fish were done because it says Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them, whereas it seems like in the first miracle, the bread and the fish were kind of distributed at the same time. So that that's another thing I would point out, that it, it definitely seems like it's a different miracle. Uh, and then again, they, they ate as much as they wanted. Jesus gave extravagantly, they were full, and we see these seven baskets of leftover food that were picked up after the fact. And it's easy to criticize these disciples, 
but I think, I think we can see ourselves in this story that, that God repeats things in our own lives, provision in our own lives. And sometimes we don't pick up on it the first time. We don't even pick up on it, on it the second time or the third time or the fourth time. And so, John, let's go back to this question that we asked at the beginning today, because I, I want people to think about how to apply this really simple sort of deja vu miracle in their own lives. The question was this, if God performed a miracle in your life, would you recognize it? Because for the disciples, they, they're still trying to understand who Jesus is. They're still trying to wrap their mind around his ability his power, his authority. I mean, he's done all these miracles from healing diseases to walking on water. So he has, he has authority even over nature. And then this, this feeding 5,000 and feeding 4,000, it's another kind of like a nature miracle, really. Like it shows that he has the ability to create. Um, and yet in our lives today, sometimes we're not even aware, we're not even we're not even paying attention to what Jesus has done in our lives because we're think when we're thinking about miracles, we're thinking about the guy with big hair on TV who heals somebody. But I think maybe we should, we should apply this now to the kind of the everyday miracles in our lives. Yeah. Philippians 419 is a verse that comes to mind when I think about God's provision in my life, even his miraculous provision it says in this same God who takes care of me, will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So again, although our resources may be limited, God's resources are unlimited. And and I've seen God provide for me in so many miraculous ways over the years. And for all of us who have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, God performed the the most amazing miracle we can ever describe, right? God brought us from death to life. So we used to be dead in our sins and our trespasses. That's what, that's what scripture teaches. But he sent Jesus who lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He went to the cross. He bore our sin. He bore our shame. He bore our guilt. And when we put our trust in him, God brings us from death into life. So so if you're a believer, anytime you doubt God's ability to do a miracle in your life, man, I, I pray that it would drive you to the cross, that, that you would know that, that God has performed an amazing miracle in your life, even if he hasn't performed others. And I'm, I'm sure he has. Like, I, I, would, I would challenge you that that's by far not the only miracle God's performed in your life. But that's one that as a Christian, you know he has performed. Yeah, and we, when we read the Old Testament, we see one of the one of the oft repeated prayers of the people of Israel is God. We've heard of your greatness. We've heard of your miracles. Do it again in our in our time. You know, you read the the Psalms, and so many of the Psalms are about the the you know speak about the miracle of uh, of the parting of the Red Sea. And it's almost like generations of Israelites only had that to rely on. And what they're trying to what they're trying to get is a vision for how God was doing things in their in the here and now, the small miracles. 
And so when we think about our lives, this is probably a good exercise for parents. Sit down with your kids and make a list, like really recount some of the things that God has done, where God has shown up in your life and, and then trust him in those, in those everyday miracles, but then recognize, cause re- really the feeding of the 5,000 is maybe if I put it in a category, you know, nature miracles or healing miracles, it's really kind of like an everyday miracle, a little bit like Jesus's first miracle from John, where he, he, uh, turned water into wine. It's not, it wasn't like a life or death miracle. A good way to think about it is just, it's like an everyday miracle. It's a provision miracle. It's an everyday miracle. And I think it's helpful for us to recognize that God gives us those to, you know, we, we say these prayers, these dinnertime prayers over, thank you for your provision, but it really is his provision of food. I mean, if you, if you're listening to this in America, you should thank God that you were born in a country that's free. You know, that some of these things that we take for granted on a daily basis, maybe, maybe it's time for us to pray and say, God, would you help me to recognize the miracles, the everyday miracles? I might not, I might not get to experience some of those crazy over the top miracles, but would you help me to have eyes to see your everyday miracles Again, the gospel of the gospels only have two miracles where every single gospel recounts it. And it's this everyday miracle of feeding the 5,000. And the, and then John, it's the one you just mentioned there. It's the miracle of Jesus's resurrection, which impacts every one of us because it's the miracle that really, that really does change everything for us spiritually. Yeah. And so I would just say, if you're, if you're listening today and and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You you would say, I've never really begun a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Kind of like the food, guys, the miracle is there for the taking. If if you don't experience that miracle, uh, that's on you. Like Jesus makes that offer to you. You know, Jesus said that man doesn't live by bread alone, right? And And he invites us to come in and have this amazing relationship with him. He did say in John 10, 10, that he came, that we might have life and have it to the full. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. We're we're not talking about a prosperity gospel, but it means that we have this abundance of relationship first and foremost with him and abundance of relationship with other believers around us. And we know that even in our our hardest times here on earth, that it, it's only temporary, that that our present sufferings can't even compare with the glory that's going to be revealed in us one day, and that's that's the offer that's on the table. That Jesus invites you to come in and have a relationship with Him, and 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 it's simple in the sense that we just come to Him and we recognize our brokenness, and and we confess to Him that that we've rebelled against Him, that we're a sinner, that that we can't fix it on our own, and and we ask him to come in and, and take control and be Lord of our life to help us to turn from our sin and turn to him, and that, that when we do that, a miracle happens. He brings you from death to life. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also don't forget to share the podcast 
with a friend.